in your name, and the whole church said, amen. amen. Um, if you've been with us, you know that we've been going through the book of Daniel. Um, for the past, we, we've been going through the first four chap- chapters of Daniel, and last week we spoke about Daniel 2, when Daniel interpreted the dream uh, for King Nebuchadnezzar. And through that interpretation, we learned a couple of things. We learned that it's good to rely on your church family, amen? Right? So if, you're, if you don't have a church, or if you're new to Memphis, like, get a church family quick. Make that, make that, like, number two on your list besides getting a room and board. Like, that's so important because as soon as Daniel found out that all the magistrates or magicians or, and fortune tellers were going to get executed, he went to his church family. He's like, hey, pray that God will reveal this dream to me. And through that, I believe that, like, God is just going to move. And they prayed with him. And Daniel, not only did he, was he able to interpret the dream, but he was able to tell them the dream. And so in that, we just know that God is working through and through. This week, we're going to talk about Daniel 3. Um, and let's, listen, let's be real. Like, who here has heard about the story of the three Hebrew boys in the furnace, right? Raise your hand. We've all heard it. We've heard it. But that's okay, because you haven't heard me preach it, all right? Amen. Hallelujah. All right. I don't care. Listen, don't check out. You need to check in, all right? This is the time to lean forward. Don't lean back, because what God put on my heart is totally different from what I've read from it before. And some of you guys are like, oh, he's been a little, you know, he's been a little arrogant. No, I'm not arrogant. It's just that God put this new word in me, and I've read this story time and time and time and time again, almost to the point, like, I could tell you this story backwards. But when, just know that when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, whew, it's a whole new story. It's a whole new ball game. Like you think you knew it and you don't really know it. So um, we're going to start in Daniel 3. Um, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to read from the message version. I've been jumping around in versions just because, you know, sometimes it just flows a little better with one over the other. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue 90 feet high and, 90, and 9 feet thick. He set up on the, plain, on the Dura Plain in the province of Babylon. Isn't it interesting, if you read the chapter before, that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a statue of all different kind of metals, right? That was a dream in chapter 2 of all different kind of metals. He had that dream, and he had a dream where a hand cut a stone out of the mountain and crushed it. He didn't tell anyone this dream. Daniel received the dream and then interpreted it to him, for him. And so isn't it, isn't it, doesn't it blow your mind that in the chapter before that he has a dream about a statue that's going to be crushed and God is going to establish his kingdom. He has a dream about a statue that's crushed. And in the next chapter, what does he do? He builds a statue. That just lets me know you could be in the church all day long and nothing can ever change you. You could, you could be like, oh, I go to church every Sunday. That's okay. Just because you stand in the garage doesn't make you a car. Right? You can be in church, you can serve in church, but if this word never changes your heart, if it never get in, gets into your life, it can never change your behaviors. And some, sometimes some of you guys will repeat the same behaviors over and over again, whether it be you're gossiping or whether it be you're in the same broken relationships over and over again. You could be like, why is it not changing me? Because if this word is not changing you, you will not be changing. Y'all, I came with fire this morning. I, I don't know about you. You think this is quiet church. This ain't quiet church. Amen. There you go. There. A little slow on it, but it's okay. So he builds a statue. It says, then he ordered all the important leaders in the province, everyone who was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They came for all the dedication, all the important people. 
and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. It says, a herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, attention everyone, every race, color, creed, listen, when you hear the band strike up, all the trumpets and the trombones, the tubas, the baritones, the drums and the cymbals, Fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring fire. I read that and I was just like, man, how many times is that us? And you're like, Pastor, what do you mean? No one's playing a tuba in my house. No, no, no. How many times in life does our old sin play a sound and we kneel and yield to it? How many times do old ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends send you that text, you up, you awake, and we yield to it, right? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like that's not me, because sometimes sin comes calling, and it's just like, oh, I want to yield to it. I want to, you know, kneel to it, because that's, I'm weak to it, and we hear the sound of our past calling, because for some of us, that's what happens. We get caught up in our sin because our past starts calling, and we're like, well, that's what I'm used to. That's what I'm comfortable with, and we don't notice when we're in this hungry, angry, lonely, or, or tough place, and we don't notice, and so what happens is we just yield to it. We kneel. So it's like, I hate that sound. But Christ, I want to tell you today that Christ is bigger than your past. He's bigger than your sin. And he hasn't called you to yield. That when your past starts calling, you can say, that's not me no more. I don't know who you're calling for. Because don't you get frustrated when someone calls you and they say, who's this? Isn't that the most backwards thing? I have gotten phone calls where people call me and they're like, hey, who's this? No, you called me. <laughs> what you mean, who's this? Who you? See, and that's the same thing we need to do with our past and our sin and everything that we struggled with, that when it calls, it says, hey, hey, Jeremy, who's this? Who are you calling? I know you're not calling me because we, we broke up a long time ago. <laughs> but, but no, 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 no. I have no association with you. There's a reason why you're an ex is because we're done. Because I want to call. I want to only answer his call from the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, he don't call at rude times. He always calls it when it's right on time. He's a good caller. It's a good, good caller. That's who you are. And it says that anytime they played this sound that everyone was supposed to kneel, you have to get to a point in your life where any sound that is made that is not according to the spirit of God, you just don't answer because it ain't for you. See, the world is calling you to a certain lifestyle, to a certain look, to a certain credence. You have to have this and have that. And it's calling you. At what point do we say, that call's not for me? I know what Christ called me to. And it's not that. We can't yield anymore to, the, to that sound. We can't yield anymore to that call. It says in verse 7, the band started to play a huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon and everyone, every race, creed, fell to their knees and worshipped the gold statue King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band started to play, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship this gold statue. Whoever did not worship, who did not fall to their knees and worship it, would be pitched into a roaring furnace. And there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. These men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they won't worship the gold statue you set up. <laughs> 
they won't, they won't bow. You see, you got to understand that when you're anointed and when you got favor on your life, that people are going to be coming after you. You see, they were snitching. Oh, we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not even their real names. We saw those three Hebrew boys, and, you know, you played the sound, and they didn't kneel. How many of us have had that on our own jobs, right, in our own life? Someone telling on you for something that you're like, I just don't agree with that. It says, oh, they didn't kneel. You have to know that when you're marked, when you're marked for glory, when you're marked for Christ, the world will come after you. But that's not something to be scared of. Because what does Jesus say? Take heart. I have overcome the world. So every time the world comes after you, you just have to stand there and be like, Jesus already overcame that. I don't have to worry if people are telling on me. If I'm living in, in the truth of Christ, if I'm walking in the spirit, I don't care if the world is coming after me. I don't care if people are telling on me because I'm walking in the spirit. And what the Lord says comes above all, everything that the world says. He has overcome the world. But you know, he did, he's overcome the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's overcome the world. That was weak. And turn to your other neighbor and say, he's really overcome the world. There you go. There you go. It says, furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar says, is it true that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue I've set up? He even says, I'm giving you a second chance. So when the band starts up, I want you to bow down. If you don't worship, you'll be pitched into the furnace. And then I love this part. I don't love it. It's just an interesting part of scripture because he says, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? He says, who is the God that can rescue you from my power? So we see a challenge. Who is this God? I want to let you know right now that there, you may be going through your own time right now and you may be living life and people are like, I don't know how they're going to get out of that. I don't know how they're going to be saved from that. And they may not say directly, who is this God that's going to save you? But they're watching your life to see who you give your problems to. They're watching who, who is this God that's going to rescue them? but they just found out they have a sickness, an illness, who is going to rescue who? Because some people write you off, oh, they're, they're gone, they're done. You might be at your third strike at work, and they're like, oh, you're done, you're gone. There's no God who could rescue. But I realize that every time I turn the battle over to God, I've never lost. Every time that someone says, who is this God that's going to rescue you? I'm like, he's that God. What do you mean that God? The one who rose on the third day, the one who beat hell, the one who saved people from addictions, the one who brought families back together, the one who, who put babies into barren women, that God. That's the God that's going to save me. The God that saved me from loneliness, the God that saved me from depression. See, you may see what's going on right now, but you don't know what God brought me from already. Ooh, ooh that was a good one. That was good. Thank you, Jesus. That's the God. And what I love, what I love is their response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, 
the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace. And anything else you might cook up, O king. <laughs> this is like, he's going to save us from the furnace. And anything else you got going on, what's up? It's already done, God, you know? They just had that, that no fear. It says, anything else you might cook up, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of a difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. See, you have to understand in those moments, their faith was to die for. Their faith was to die for. Their belief in God was to die for. They had, and, I, and I believe, I don't know if you guys have ever read chapter 1 of Daniel, but if you've remembered it, if you've been with us, you know in chapter 1, y'all remember when they gave Daniel the king's food and Daniel was like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to eat that meat. I'm not going to eat from the king's table. Too many hands touched it. Nah, we're going to stick to vegetables because we don't want to defile ourselves. Anyone remember that? Right? I believe that if Daniel didn't set that leadership expectation of like, I will not defile myself, I believe these boys pulled from that leadership expectation that if he won't defile himself and eat that meat, we're not going to defile ourselves. Amen? And that's why leadership is such an important part of the kingdom. Because if Daniel never set that leadership that, like, I know we're in Babylonian captivity. I know we got to do things their way, but I'm not going to defile myself in front of the Lord. And so now these three Hebrew, Hebrew boys had the same example that if, you know what, our, our leader didn't, he didn't back down. He didn't defile himself. And so I believe that when they were standing there, like, you know what? We saw all what God did through Daniel when he said he's going to stay faithful. We're going to stay faithful too. We're not going to back down because he didn't defile himself. We're not going to defile ourselves. Do we have a couple Christians in this room who are going to stand for truth? Do we have a couple Christians in this room who are going to be like, I don't care what the world is doing. I don't care what trend they said they have going on. I'm not going to defile myself because I, I, I've committed myself to Christ. I've dedicated my life to Christ. And so I'm not going to back down because, you know what, some of us didn't have good leaders, right? Didn't have good representations of fathers or mothers or leaders in our life. But I want to let you know today that we're not going to back down as Pioneer Church because that's not what we're called to. We're called to bring the gospel and more than bring the gospel, not defile ourselves and love people. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what other churches do. We're going to love people. But you're going to love a drug addict? We're going to love people. But you're going to love someone who has a different lifestyle? We're going to love people. But you're going to love someone who's a prostitute? I said we are going to love people. We're going to love people and show compassion. That's what we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so because they saw Daniel not back down, they saw, Daniel, they, saw Daniel, they saw his example, they were able to exhibit the same thing. You, we did a baby dedication today, and you guys have to understand that as you get older, as you have kids, even in your community, in your church, wherever you are, people are looking to you as the example. The Glistens, Naomi, will be looking to them as the example of Christ. My children, Ava, Izzy, they will be looking to Tasha and I as an example of Christ. You may be sitting in this room like, I don't have any kids. Your community, your brother, your sisters, your family is going to be looking at you as the example of Christ. How will you respond? Do you falter? Do you say, you know what? 
I know you, you, listen, I know you believe this and I believe that. I just want to let you know I love you and the love of Jesus can change everything. That's it. If you ever need anything, I'm here. The world is waiting for Christians to respond with love and compassion. Yeah, I, don't, I may not agree with you. Yeah, you know what? You may be a Democrat or Republican, whatever it is. But when we get to heaven, that don't matter. That doesn't even matter. Listen, if you find your identity in whatever party you support, that's not going to matter. What matters is when, Jesus, when, we get, when we stand before the seat of Christ and he looks at us, he's, he's not going to say, so what party did you support? He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you love the people in your life that you didn't agree with? See, that, that all goes away. And, and I love that. I love that they said, well, my favorite part is that like, they were saying, hey, we're not going to worship your idol. We're not going to follow that. That's not what we're about. Um, and the God is going to rescue us from this furnace. But I love it says, but even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a difference. We still wouldn't serve or worship your God. Even if he doesn't, do we trust God to the point that even if he doesn't give us what we want, we're not going to worship the gods of this world? Do we trust God even when he doesn't show up when we think he should show up? Do you trust God even if you lose everything that you have? Do you trust God? This year has been a year for my family. My wife, my daughter had surgery in the beginning of the year. I lost my job in March. We had a baby with almost no insurance in April. And my younger daughter started having seizures the past week. We had to take her to the hospital. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you what he said to them. God is still faithful. And he was going to rescue me. Because I really do feel that at the beginning of this year, that Jesus was like, have you considered my servant Jeremy? And I didn't falter. I didn't curse God. Yes, there were rough times. Yes, there were rough times. But at the times, I'm like, all right, God, you're going to rescue me. And he didn't rescue me, but he showed up right on time. I'm going to continue with this story because, y'all, it's about to get lit. <laughs> it says, Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger. So that means he was a little dark, you know. All right, whatever. Um, <laughs> purple with anger. Cut off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed to head to toe, were pitched into the roaring fire because the king was such in a hurry and the furnace was so hot. Flames from the furnace killed the men that carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. While the fire raged around them. You see, some of us in this thing called life, we feel like just because the fire has been turned up, it went from kind of hot to scorching hot, because you're in Memphis, it went from kind of hot to scorching hot, you feel like you did something wrong. Who feels that sometimes, right? Like when life goes from bad to worse, you start sitting here like, what did I do wrong? What did I do? 
God, like, why, why am I going through this? And you have to understand, just because you're in the fire, just because you're in the furnace, doesn't mean you did something wrong. It just means you might be standing up for something that God honors. You got to know that when you start walking in faith, when you start walking in truth, that life is, the fire is going to be turned up. Fires all around you. Your children will be getting sick. You'll lose your finances. But even in the fire, Jesus says, I am with you. I have never forsaked you. See, the fire, you got, we got to get that mindset out of like just because I'm in the fire of life and the, and the heat is turning up. That doesn't mean you did something wrong. That doesn't mean that you've sinned. It just means that that's life. That's life sometimes. What's beautiful about this is that, again, I made the same point last week, and I'll make it again this week. Out of those three guys, none of the boys was like, oh, y'all can go in the fire, but let me just bow down, because like, uh-huh. like, they were all for each other. They all stuck up for each other. They were all like, you know what? Even if, because none of them, I mean, Abednego wasn't like, y'all, I didn't say that. Shadrach said that, but you know. And this is why you have to find a church family. You need to... Put encircle yourself with people who are in the church who when you go through the fire, they're in the fire with you. You need to have family members that when you're in the fire, they're in the fire with you. What does that mean? That they're praying for you, they're encouraging you, and you're praying for them and encouraging them. And when the fire gets turned up, they didn't leave you and be like, you know what, I'm done. They're in the fire with you and they're like, I'm with you. From the beginning until the end, whatever the outcome is, I'm with you. Because ain't none of the boys left. Ain't none of them left. Listen, I've had friends, people in my life who left us high and dry when the fire got hot. They were like, this ain't for me. This ain't my fire. But the bond that I built to my Christian brothers who were with me when the fire was at its hottest, you just learn how to sweat through it. There are times when my friends were in the fire and I'm like, I'm going to stick with you and you learn how to sweat through it. Do you have a couple of friends in your life right now who are going to be with you through the fire? And if you don't, I encourage you to find someone and pray for someone that can come into your life and be through the fire with you. It says right here, it's like, it says that they were thrown into this roaring furnace. They were thrown into this hot fire. Some of us feel like we're in that furnace right now. It is Memphis, so we're kind of, we're halfway there, you know. It's raining today, so thank God. So they threw him into the furnace because their threat meant nothing. And what I love, and this is the thing that really like stuck with me. This is the thing that was in my heart and I was studying this and I was like reading this. It says that, it says, suddenly King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in an alarm and said, didn't we throw three men in bound hand and foot into the fire? Didn't we throw three of them in? It says, but look, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. When I read that, I, I stood up, or I stood up in my office, I was like, God, you with me in this fire, amen? Amen. And I started, was, and I started thinking, and I, and I was like, God, show me, like, what? Show me something in this text that people haven't seen before. My question was always, is now, is like, why did you show up in a visible form? 
why did you show up in a visible form that King Nebuchadnezzar can see you? Because if he's God, couldn't he just like, you know, just wave the wand or whatever and just move him? Right? If, he, if he's God, he could have did it in the invisible. He could have had them disappear and just show up next to King Nebuchadnezzar like, what's up? But he didn't. It says that while they were in the fire, that there was a fourth one in there, and he looked, and his glory was eminent, and they can see it. And so that gives validity to the verse that says, when two or three are gathered I am in their midst. So that doesn't matter where you are. You could be in the fire. You could be in the thick of it. And that when you're thrown in there, you may be like, God, I feel like this fire is going to overwhelm me. This fire is going to burn me. I'm going to walk out broken. And Jesus says, my spirit is there. I never left you. You may not be able to see me, but I'm keeping the flames from touching you. I'm keeping from life destroying you. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care how broke you are. I don't care how much you've sinned. This fire will not touch you because when two or three are together i am here Amen. yeah listen thank you jesus thank you jesus that you're here do i have a couple christians in the, you know we're just gonna keep praising god do i have a couple christians in this room who just want to thank god for the fire not touching them and what I love in that, what I love in that scripture is that not only were the guys in there with the fire, I could see them like falling and they're like, oh God, we're going to burn. And then they're just standing, you know, anyone ever see that meme online that everything's on fire and they're like, this is good. <laughs> this is good. I believe that those three boys were standing in there and be like, y'all, this fire's hot, hot. But we cool. You know, like we're chilling. So you have to understand that when you go through the fire, when you go through this fire called life and you're in the furnace and you feel like, God, I'm going to get burned, people are looking how you react and how you respond. Because the same way King Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in that situation is the same way your peers want to see Jesus in your situation. That when you're in the fire, that when you're in the furnace and the flames are as hot as ever, the bills are due tomorrow, your kids are acting crazy, school is not being normal, it's being weird and annoying, your friends and your family are just, you know, getting under your skin, they want to see how you respond because how you respond to the fire will show them how Jesus will show up in the midst of their situation and in your situation. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar saw it, that he was standing out there and he was like, Wait a, wait, wait a minute. Y'all threw another guy in there? No. No. That, that fourth guy. There's something. He looks like the son of God. Like, why are they not burning? Why is there no screams? Why is there, like... We should like see them burning. What, what's going on? And what I love is that when I think about the scripture that says, you prepared a seat for me amongst my enemies. You prepared a seat for me at the table of my enemies. See, I think about that verse when I think about that. Because when Jesus prepares a seat for you in a table of your enemies, you're not supposed to sit there scared. You're supposed to sit there reclined. Come with your mess. I didn't send for you, but come with your mess. See, God prepared a table for them around their enemies because of the example that they were. 
even if he doesn't rescue us, even if he doesn't save us from this, we will not bow to you. There's a verse in Isaiah. It's not, it's Isaiah 43. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Joseph, if you don't mind playing something. This is Isaiah 43, 2-3. It says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Of course Jesus showed up. Of course he saved them from the flames. And he said, uh, Thank you, God, for saving me from the flames. Thank you. Verse 25, it says, But look, I see four men walking around freely, and they're completely unharmed. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and called in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of, of the high God, come out of here. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. They walked out of the fire. Why is that so important? Because you may be going through a season of the furnace right now. But God is not looking to drag you out. He's not looking to wheel you out. He's looking for you to walk out of the furnace. He has called you to walk out of it. Yes, it may be hot all around. Yes, things in your life may be burning down. But this is only for a season. And he's calling you to walk out of that season. He wants you to walk out upright. They weren't dragged out. They weren't skirted away. They didn't have little burns here or there. They walked out complete and they walked out whole. So I don't know what season you're going through right now. I don't know what life has thrown at you right now. But I want you to know that Jesus is in the furnace with you. When it's the hottest, he's carried you. And he's called you to walk out of that season because your testimony will come from how you walked out. Amen. Hallelujah. I bet you those boys never feared fire for the rest of their lives. And God is calling us the same thing. He's like, hey, I'm not calling you to fear. Don't fear the fire. Don't be scared of it because I will be with you because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And if I could say, save three Hebrew boys from that fire, I could save you today from that same fire. And I'm not talking about the fire of hell. I'm talking about the fire called life. I can save you from that. Listen, we prayed that he, we worshiped and we said he's a miracle worker. He's a way maker. And if he can make a way for them, he could make a way for you. That even your enemies who are around you will see you and say, come out of there. And you walk out. It says, this is so important. It says, all the important people, who's that? The government leaders, the king's counselors gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched them. 
Not a hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. You have to know that as you're coming out of your season of the fire, the Lord doesn't want you to look like you've been through the fire. Because some of us walk out of fires looking like we've been through fires. Amen. Our eyebrows all burnt off like we're our attitudes all different. You know, we smell like we've been through a tough time. And God is saying, no, 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 I don't want you to walk out with with scorch marks. I don't want you to walk out with all these burns. I want you to walk out in the glory of the Most High God. I want to make you new. Because that fire, you see, they were thrown in, but that fire for them was a refining process. That by the time that they hit the bottom of that furnace, I was already in there. Before they even entered that fire, I was already in there. And when they left that fire, I was still in there until they walked out safe. And you have to know for your life that Jesus is a faithful God that while you're going through the fire, he's in there. Before you, you might even be heading into your furnace right now. Guess what? He's in there. Because he's prepared a place for you that you should not burn. He's in there. Don't, listen, I want to tell you right now, you don't have to fear furnaces. You don't have to fear the, the, the fires that life throws at us. You don't have to be scared. Listen, I, at my point when my daughter was having seizures, I was scared as a father. But as I was driving to the hospital, the word that kept on coming back to my heart was that there is no fear in love. Jeremy, there is no fear in love. Jeremy, there is no fear in love. Do not be scared because just as much as I love you, I love that little girl. And there is no fear in love. But God, this fire's hot. I don't know what to do as a dad. I don't know, like, I can't fix her. I can't heal her. And he's like, I know that, and that's great because I can. But God, we don't have finance for the hospital. I know this fire's hot, but there is no fear in love. Because my love has casted it out. I won't let any harm come to her. And I want you guys to share in that. Know that. That whatever life throws at you, he is a way maker. He is a miracle worker, and he doesn't do it for you. He does it so that all your enemies standing outside of the furnace can see, whoa. I knew that fire, like that family was thrown into the fire, but there's an extra person in there. Who is that? I've had people be like, how are you doing? And I'm like, man, I'm encouraged. Keep on praying for complete healing and pray that God continues to move. I don't believe for a second that my daughter's going to be a victim to these seizures and these epilepsies. I don't believe for a second. I believe that she's going to grow up and God's, going to, God's already healed her and that there's a testimony in her right now before she even reached an age where she can talk. And her first thing, like, God healed me. I used to have the shakes, but God healed me. It says, Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. God is looking to rescue those who trust him. I don't know what you're like. I know some of us may have trust issues with God, and you're like, God, you didn't show up when I thought you should show up. But I want to tell you today that God will rescue you when you put your trust in him, when you put your faith in him. And I don't want to say that because like, oh, you're a pastor. That's easy. No, it's not. I had to force myself to trust God in the hospital. 
had to force myself to pray over my daughter and pray for her healing. I had to trust God and say, God, I just trust you. I know these doctors may be seeing what's on paper, but you called it healed in the heavenlies. And I'm going to trust what I can't see because what they, can't, what they can see is not what you can see. It says that they ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore, I issue this decree, anyone, anywhere, any race, color, creed, who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their house is torn down. It's like, bro, you didn't even believe. There has never been a God who can pull off a rescue like this. And it says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted. When you walk out, I want you to know that there has never been a God to pull off a rescue like he did in your life. There has never been a God who to pull off a rescue who pulled you from your addiction, who pulled you from your lies, who pulled you from your sin, who pulled you from your loneliness, who pulled you from your hate, who pulled you from your gluttony. Who, there has never been a God like that in all of history from the beginning to the end who could pull off such a rescue as to pull someone who's undeserving to be a pastor. To pull someone who was far from Christ close to him. There's never been a God who pulled off a rescue like that. Some of us, we know our past, right? Right? We know who we were before Christ caught us up. And what a rescue. What a rescue. And the thing is that he doesn't stop rescuing. Yes, we look at those three Hebrew boys and we're like, man, what an example. Look at what God did. Look how faithful they are. And listen, there was nothing special about them but that they trusted God. And the same trust and the same faith that they had, you can do. No one may be threatening to put us in a physical furnace. But God is asking us, will you trust me? Will you let me rescue you the way I rescued them? But God, you can't, you don't want to rescue me. Like, I, I looked at stuff online I shouldn't have been looking at. God, you don't want to rescue me. I lie. God, you don't want to rescue me. I'm a sinner. He's just like, no, no, no. You don't understand that I've already rescued you through my son, Jesus Christ. When I put him on the cross and when he died, I looked away from him. So I never have to look away from you. But God, I'm so unqualified. I know you are. And that's what's going to make this rescue even greater. That's what's going to make this testimony even sweeter. That it was by the blood of Christ that you were saved and the word of your testimony. Imagine the testimony of those boys when they got back home and they were like, yo, that was wild. I've never seen fire in that way ever in my life. It's like, yo, did you see the way God brought us out though? That like we don't have to be ashamed anymore. Like, yes, we, you know, that was supposed to kill us, but we can walk out of this fire and there are friends and family members in this life who are waiting for you to come with that same joy. And they're like, oh my gosh, they're out of depression. What's going on in your life? Oh my gosh, they're out of their insecurities. What's going on in their life? Oh, why are you so different? Like usually you're sad and sorry and depressed. Usually you're always broken. What's so different about you? And you can say there's a God in heaven 
who rescued me from the furnace. I don't have to identify with that anymore. He rescued me. Man, just last week, you, you seemed so hopeless. I know, but God pulled off an amazing rescue. That even while I was in my depression, Christ died for me. That even when I was in my addiction, Christ died for me. That even when I was a sinner, even when I didn't even like him, I hated the church. Guess what? I went to church. It didn't fall on me, and Christ died for me. Thank you, God, for the, the rescues. Thank you, God, for the rescues. Thank you for rescuing us. Oh, God, you've rescued us time and time and time again. God, rescue us from ourselves. 